Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Romans? The masterpiece of of the Bible or of the New Testament, some would call it. The book of Romans, please. Chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, beginning to read it, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Wherefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now if Christ, pardon me, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he that liveth, he liveth unto God. Let us pray. Father, take your own word this morning. And we ask you, Lord, to deal with every heart, whether it's every heart in this place or whoever will hear this word. Lord, will you meet us where you need to? And, oh God, we pray, Lord, that we would hear words, Lord, that not what we want to hear, but that which we need to hear. Lord, for the glory of your name. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for your spirit, for your presence, for you being here this morning. Glorify your son, we ask it. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we want to walk in newness of life. That's our title, walking in newness of life. This morning, we want to speak about it. And this morning, we want to see how we're walking to examine ourselves before the Lord this morning in this place. So, walking in newness of life. Let me tell you how I ended up writing this message and I want to be careful, though no, none in here knows this person, nor anyone related to them, so it's completely someone different no one would know. I got a call just last week from a mother whose son was, is addicted to drugs uh, in a bad way, has been trying to clean up his life, but unfortunately keeps reverting back. A young man caught up in paramilitaries, been in prison many times in and out in his young life. Um, I got a call uh, asking if I would go and see him. They had phoned other people who promised but didn't weigh in for them. And out of the blue, they had, this woman had heard me preach in another church. And she had then bought Alison and my book and seen my background and asked, would I go and speak with him? So I went um, in the latter part of this week. It was on Friday. And as I went, I spent a couple of hours with this young man. 
And you know, he's a lovely young man. Um, anyhow, all he could see was drugs, drugs, drugs. All he could speak about was drugs and drugs and more drugs. He, he was encapsulated by this mindset. He was captivated. He was uh, enslaved and is enslaved by it. And he's, he speaks to people, he says, and they have never been where he is, so he didn't want to speak to them. He wanted someone who'd been where he was and in the mindset that he's in, who had tasted of those things and no one would know where he would come from, even how to speak to him and deal with him. And as we started to speak, I just started to tell them about, tell him about my life, my past, and the things that, um, that ensnared me, enslaved me, and what Christ has set me free from. And as we spoke, he says, you know me, you know my life, you've lived where I am. And he's out of the way trying to get away from the whole paramilitary scene. And, and uh, I, I won't give away where he is, but um, he was not in hiding, but just trying to get out of the way. And as we spoke about these things, I kept trying to say to him about how the Lord is the answer. And, and, and even though he didn't want to know he wasn't aggressive, he was open to listen, but he couldn't see it couldn't see the Lord and couldn't see how God could change, even though it's the Lord that changed my life. And when I'd left him, he said he felt better for talking. I've promised I'm going to go meet him again. And I'm going to go out this time with him and take him out and try and talk to him. And the Lord knows who he is. You can keep him in your prayers. And I want to try and rescue him from the paramilitaries. I want to try and rescue him from the life he's in. I want to try and rescue him from the drugs and from the alcohol. And we'll do the, uh, I'll do my best, but I can't do that. Christ doesn't. And it's that, that he, the Lord would open his eyes to see this. So as I'd left him, I was, I was hopeful that he had heard something from me that helped him, but that's not the answer. The answer is in the person of Christ. For every ill, for everything, and for everyone. And so as I got home, this was, he was in my mind. I was thinking about him. I was talking to the Lord about him the whole way home in the car. And he was heavy on me. And I was burdened by him. And the Lord said to me, he needs to walk in newness of life. And by the time I had thought about this, I looked up the scripture and I read it. And I read it and I prayed about it. And I sat in the study all day thinking about it. And all I could think of was there are many Christians who still are not walking in newness of life. Even Christians. So here's the question. Paul says in verse 4, notice what he says in verse 4 at the end, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And Paul is saying this in regards to the resurrection life of Christ. Paul is saying this as, as to the resurrection life of Christ, that we should walk in that resurrection life on power. So here's the question then. Since you got saved, whenever that was, whether it be uh, last week or the last few months, or whether it be many, many, many years ago, here's the question. Since the day and the hour that you get saved, has there been a change? Has the old man died? Has the old woman died? 
I know they resurrect from time to time, but have you crucified them afresh? And have you put them down that you may walk in newness of life? Uh, some things I want to say, and I'm not trying to hurt or offend, but to encourage, to instruct, to help you. And I've run through this in my life, and there's things even in my life and thinking, from I have written this over the weekend that the Lord has shown me that I'm trying to deal with myself. So since you've been saved, has there been a sanctifying process? And the question I asked wasn't, from you get saved, are you perfect? And I didn't ask, are you unblemished? That's not the question. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are unblemished in our lifestyle. We are unblemished under the blood. And positionally, we are unblemished. Without spot or blemish under the blood of Christ. But as to our character to our nature to our personalities and as to our thinking in Christ none of us are unspotted or unblemished not one of us so Paul says we should walk in the newness of life and newness of life this is what I've written on it if there's no newness then there's no change if there's no newness then there's no sanctification of the Holy Spirit And if there's no newness, you're still living in the old life with too much of the old man or the old woman. Newness of life isn't. And listen, newness of life isn't cleaning up your act. It isn't the art of cleaning up your life. Newness of life isn't the act of your willpower doing better. And newness of life isn't the ability to stop a bad habit. That's not newness of life in the scriptural sense. There are many people without Christ who go to rehabs and do different things, uh, make uh, their, their New Year's resolutions and maybe keep them for whatever length of time and clean up their life and clean up their act and stop these habits and help themselves for health reasons. That is not the newness of life that the scripture speaks of, although it is part of it. Although it is part of it. To walk in newness of life, according as Paul is saying here, is immensely greater than those things. Those are uh, spinoffs. That may be the fruit of those things. And to walk in newness of life, as Paul speaks about, is infinitely superior to it. We're going to look at it this morning, how it is all of those things. Because when Paul says that we should walk in the newness of life, it gives the idea of a new state or a new condition of life in which, listen, the Holy Spirit has placed you into There's a big difference. There are people who are unsaved who clean up their lives and clean up their act and do good and walk right and they're not saved. But newness of life is this. Yes, we clean up our lives in the sense where God gives us the ability, but it is walking as a son. Walking as a daughter of God. Newness of life. It is walking in the resurrected power, the Holy Ghost, in other words, which raised Jesus from the dead. It is walking in that, in communion, in fellowship, with acknowledgement, in reverence and in gratitude, but in the power of the Holy Ghost. So when we look at newness of life, I am all for saying yes, 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 that if there's no change in your life, there's no Christ in your life. 
That's as simple as that. If there's no change in anyone's life, there's no Christ. Christ changes lives. Christ changes your life. Christ changes your desires. Christ changes your wills and your wants. He changes attitudes. Christ changes you. And if there's no change for the things of God to the glory of God, then there's no Christ. And that doesn't mean to say we don't feel him and we have weaknesses. That does not mean that. We all do. But it's learning and getting up and moving on. It's walking in power. It's believing God for greater. It's knowing that your God is risen from the dead as in the person of his son. Your God is still over all in the heavens. And your God is within you. He has become the new state of life for you and in you. So there are many who can change, but they're not saved and they have no newness of life. Let's look at the word newness, shall we? The word newness is the word kinatas. It comes from the root word for new, obviously. For the word new is kinas. And it means, listen, recently made fresh. Something recently made fresh. It gives the idea of something unused or unworn. It speaks of something that is unprecedented. Something unprecedented. That's very important, that. A new kind, basically. So let's look at this word, kinas, for new, in just a couple of places this morning. For example, in Matthew 26 and verse 28, we've just broken bread there. And we have just gathered around the table, we've partaken of the emblems. This is what Jesus said as he instituted the, the, new, the new covenant. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. New Testament, or as the Hebrew writer calls it, New Covenant. Shed for many for remission of sin, Jesus said. The word new, it means a freshly made or recently made covenant. It's unused and unworn in the sense that this is him instituting that which um, is, an, if you want, the fulfillment of the old. Let me give you an idea here. So we have the old covenant. We have the Ten Commandments, say, for example. And it's bigger than that, but let me use it for this morning. And we have the Ten Commandments, the morality, the moral commandments of God. And when we have those in the old, we see that they all point us to how we should live, the standard of life, to be able to enter the kingdom of God. So you and I, in body, soul, and spirit, 24-7, every second, every moment of every second, we are expected to live those to the T and never once, not once, to fail them. And unfortunately, that is just impossible. In fact, when Paul tells us of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, goodness, meekness, and temperance, he's actually saying to us, if we can keep the, have the fruit of the Spirit 24-7, every second, every moment of every second, really we are fulfilling the law. That's what Paul's telling us. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives is the fulfillment of the law. But you and I can't have that because we can't do that. 
all of that time. We're never completely perfect. That's why Christ must come. And the law is our schoolmaster. What does it teach us? It teaches us that you and I are sinners in the sight of God. That you and I are unable to be perfect. It sort of helps you when you think like this. That when you look at a brother or sister with their imperfections that you see. That others may look at you and see the imperfections that they see. And God looks at us all. And he sees us in his son and sees you all perfect. (laughs) Hello? Now that's not excusing not walking in the newness of life. Because Paul says that's what we should do. So whenever we are thinking of the old, we are thinking of law. It seems like doom and gloom. We can't keep it. We're beat in other words. But Jesus comes. And Jesus shows us the law. He doesn't do away with the law, but he fulfills the law. In fact, he emphasizes the law. So the law that you and I think in the old covenant, the law that you and I believe, well, you know, that's the law and it's all done away with. No, it isn't. It was fulfilled in Christ. In fact, the law is even greater and stronger in condemnation than you even believe it is. Jesus says, if you look at a woman wrong or a man wrong, you've already lost it in your heart and committed adultery. Not just the actual act, but if you've looked and lost it. So every one of us, none of us are perfect. Jesus emphasized that you think it's bad, you must go do the act. If you hate your brother in your heart, If you hate them without even a cause, you've just murdered them. You've murdered someone in God's eyes. See, he didn't do away with it. He emphasized it. He enlarged it to show, really, in all honesty, the sinfulness that we're in, that we have. I was speaking to another man who contacted me, and you just don't know him either. And he says, I need to talk to someone. I says, well, talk away. He says, I'm sick in God's face all the time. He says, he says, the more I see God, the worse I'm getting. I says, well, what do you mean? And he said, I've got a mind that I never had before. And I said, what sort of mind is that? He says, an angry mind, a bitter mind, a putrid mind. He says, I'm thinking things I wouldn't even dare tell you. I said, well, I'm not your priest, so you don't have to. You go to him. He says, but why? I've never even been like this before, and, and I'm seeking God every single day now. He says, for months and months and months, and the more I seek him, the worse I seem. So as he's talking to me, I says, Lord, help me here. I tell him on here, you're, I condemn this man. And I says, look, here's what's happening. The closer you're getting to God, and the closer he's getting to you, as you seek him, the more rotten he's letting you see you really are. 
that when this turns, you'll see his wonder and glory. Because that's what we're all like. Every one of us outside of Christ and without Christ are just a pile of mess. We are rotten to the core. Filthy, rotten to the core. But here's the thing, Christian. You're not without Christ. You're not outside of Christ. You are in Christ. And although in our fleshy nature we are rotten to the core, your Father sees you perfect. Perfected. No, that does not say, for Paul says in our reading in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, what should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he says in verse 2, God forbid. In other words, Jesus said to the woman, go on sin no more. Not to walk in an open course of sin, to habitually sin, but to break it. How? Walk in the newness of life of the resurrected power of Christ. I can't put this right. I've got this addiction. I've got this lustfulness. I've got whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm not going to start rhyming them all off. I've got this hard heart. I've got this bitterness. I've got this attitude and so on. I'm never going to be able to change. Yes, you can. If Christ is in you, Yes, you can. What do I tell a young man? Love the young man who's ravaged and ruined his life. And the devil has him captive. Get him to a point where he thinks he's in control of what he takes and does or doesn't take and doesn't do. And I said, let me stop you there. That's where you're wrong for the start. Once you take it once, once you do it once, it has you. You think you have it, but it has you. And he admitted that guilt so far. What about you and I to say, Lord, you show me where I must change. Am I walking in newness of life? Am I walking? Is the habits that I'm doing, am I overcoming? That's an overcoming life. It's not just, well, we're under the blood, so we'll do what we like, and we're under grace, so we'll live how we want. No, no, no. The overcoming life is being victorious, knowing in Christ you have the ability, the power of the Spirit, to be able to defeat the devil in your life. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is an endowment of power for you to be able to conquer that sin. That's grace. So when Jesus says, this is my blood of the New Testament, this was a a covenant that had never happened before because now here is the old covenant now. Everyone is doomed and damned. Jesus steps into the breach. He pays our debt. He completes all the Father's will. He says, I have come, lo, I have come to do thy will, O God. And now he fulfills the Father's will on the cross that you and I may receive his spirit. That when we're under the blood, when we're washed and forgiven, the Father sees us not as who we are or what we were, but what he is making us out to be and to become. And it's unprecedented because every single religion in the world that's ever been is do 
do, do this, do that, do, do, do. Jesus comes, steps into the equation and he says, it's done. It's done. So it's unprecedented that God would come and die for the sinner rather than the sinner giving something over to God. First and foremost, Christ came to die for you. He came that he may fulfill the law, yes, and he came that he may fulfill the will of his Father, yes, but he came to die for you. I'm talking about in our lives now. And that you might be saved, that you might go on in him. The word new, for example, in Matthew 16 and verse 17, listen to what the resurrected ascending Christ says. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, in the name of Jesus, shall they cast out devils. One Christian, let's think about this. Walking in newness of life is more than just giving up old habits. Walking in newness of life is knowing the Spirit of God who lives in you and knowing that you are in charge of that situation. Taking authority and control over that situation. Over that demon, over that spirit, that foul spirit that holds you in your mindset, that holds you and other things that you don't even want to talk about. You have the power within you because you have the Holy Ghost. They shall cast out devils. You see others. You see others and you see them struggling. Help them. Of course we help them. We love them. We nurture them. We help them. But there are others and we see the devil there and you say, he must go. He got to go. They'll cast out devils. Notice, they shall speak with new tongues. The word new here is the same word for new covenant. It's like Joseph's new tomb. It was never used before. This is a new tongue, giving at Acts chapter 2. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the new tongue, which is the promise of the Father that Jesus had spoken about in Acts chapter 1, to go and wait and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high and receive the gift of the Father, the promise of the Father. The new, the unprecedented tongue, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is yours. The baptism of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Holy Ghost, the, the key of the, of the baptism is, and the speaking with new tongues, they open up that gift. Spiritual warfare. We need to know who we're fighting. We need to know how to control it. We need, need to know how to take authority according to the word and in the spiritual realm. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. It's not right against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And if we don't know how to fight these things, if we don't know how to tear down these strongholds, if we don't have this spiritual gift, then what do we warfare with? Church, Jesus didn't leave us and say, get on your best till I return. Jesus didn't leave us and say, you know, try your hardest and clean up your life the best you can till I get back again. Jesus says, occupy till I come. Occupy. And everything in your life, occupy it. Forget about the snowflake generation. Forget about all those snowflake Christians and the liberal left who will have you go with the flow of this world system of things and all the debauchery and filth of it. Forget about it and stand up for Christ and occupy till he comes. Occupy. 
The word tongues, by the way, is the word glossa. And it's called, in Acts chapter 2, the glossolalia. When they began to speak with tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus says, this unprecedented language, never given before, it's new, it's unworn as it were, it's like it's freshly baked in heaven, and it's given to the church. Brothers and sisters, let's covet earnestly the best gifts. Let's do as, even as Paul tells us. And let us seek after these things that God has enabled us to have. That's walking in newness of life too. Now you might say to me, well, I don't have that gift. Then seek it. And I know I said a lot of weeks ago, I'm waiting. I haven't forgotten. I want to have a, 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 waiting, uh, a, a waiting meeting, tarrying meeting, where we'll sit and wait. If Tuesday night, the Spirit of God was so tangible here, it was a holy hush came in to the point where there was no awkwardness. It was just wait until God moves and he was moving. And a night like that, we could have just shut the doors and said, Lord, fill your people. Folks, you are missing out. are missing out. In Acts 17, for example, and verse 19, Acts 17 is where Paul is in Athens. And if you remember uh, when Paul's in Athens, he sees the altar to the unknown God. And this altar to the unknown God, it's, he's stirred in his spirit. I love that because it means Paul was agitated at the people around him and the way they were getting on. Who's ever agitated at people around you, the way they're getting on against the things of God? And when you tell them they don't want to know, you're too hard, you're the bigot, you're this, that, you're hateful. Well, guess what? Paul felt the same. Paul felt the same. Paul says, in Acts 17, or pardon me, it says of Paul in verse 19, they took him to the Areopagus. Uh, the the Areopagus is, is, is a large cliff area, but it's on the, the western side of the Acropolis in Greece. And the idea of it was, just this is just by the way, the idea of it was that, and the reason they took them there, people think, well, they're manhandling him, they're going to throw them over the cliff, but doesn't really, I don't really think that's true. I'll tell you why, because it was said that in Greek mythology that Mars, the god, their god Mars, their so-called god Mars, uh, killed the son of Neptune. Now, he's got a big, long name. I don't know. Anyhow, but he killed him, and so the gods had a convention. Imagine having a convention of gods. <laughs> anyway, the gods had a convention, and they had a judge's panel, and it was here, Areopagus. And so when they brought Paul there, what they did was then they kept bringing people there wanting to hear new things. Paul comes and speaks of God becoming flesh, going to the tomb, rising again the third day, ascending into heaven and coming again, and that sins are forgiven once and for all by his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, and they call it a new Teaching or a new doctrine. 
Now, if this is about gods, let's bring them here because this is the judicial seat of where the gods are. That's why they bring Paul there, to hear that. And imagine all their false gods, as it were, in their mindset, being there, represented in the people. They gather around to hear. And what do they hear? They hear of the living God. They hear of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son arisen from the dead, the glory of his Father. Now notice this. It says, they took him to Areopagus, saying that we may know what this new doctrine is, this unprecedented teaching like we've never heard before. The world has never heard before at this point of a God who would come and die on a cross or taste of death through his son that would come and go to a tomb to rescue the lost. That was unprecedented. Unprecedented. This is new. It's like it's freshly baked. Pardon me for the word. This teaching is. And they're saying this is a new doctrine. This is a new learning for us. This is a new teaching. And in that they're finding this out. They're finding that the Christ that's here is changing the lives. And people are walking in newness of life. And in the power of the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul goes preaching this. Paul goes and preaches a living Christ. And so they say, let's bring him to the judicial platform. Now in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things. Would you say old things? things. Would you say it again? Old things. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things. How many things? All Are become new. So here, if any man's in Christ, that person, that woman, that man, who they are in Christ, they become unprecedented in what has happened in their lives. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven of Every sin. Everyone. And it isn't do, 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 but rather, but rather, it is done, it is done, it is done, that Christ has done it for you. It's unprecedented. And so if any man would be in Christ or woman, that's a generic term, he is a new creature. So is there a change in your life since you've been saved? Didn't say you're perfect. Remember, has there been a change? A change toward God, change in the concerning the things of Christ, change in the loving of His Word. Has there been a change? Notice, if you turn with me to Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4. And let your eye run down just for time's sake, please. To verse 20, 22. Let me stop, start as I read a few verses here to you. Paul says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, 
which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now let me break this down a moment for you. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. So Paul is saying that you put off the old man or the old woman. There's a lot to put on the old man and the old woman and live in the old man and the old woman rather than put them off. So notice this. The, the idea here is the word conversation. It doesn't mean just say about speaking. People think it's just how we talk. That's who change to. But the word conversation here is the word anastrophe. Or anastrophe. Something like that. I think I said it the same twice anyhow, did I? And this is what it means. The manner of life your conduct, and your behavior. So how the old man was, how the old woman was, put it off. How you used to be is how you should not be today. Simple as that. And then he says, the conversation of the old man which is corrupt. The word corrupt is faithful. And this is what it means, to waste away, to perish, to be depraved. So the old man or the old woman is corrupt. They are perishing. They are decaying. And they're depraved. Do you know the difference between your flesh and mine? None. Well, let's put it in another context. Do you know the difference between the Christian's flesh? on the flesh of the man and woman who was out there fornicating last night and drinking and drugging or whatever they were doing? Do you know the difference? None. None. That's the war. That's the battle in the Christian. But here is one difference. Your flesh, your body has been redeemed. It's not your own. So stop giving it to an old man who doesn't own it. Stop giving it to an old woman who doesn't own it. The difference is we're waiting for the change. We're waiting for the resurrection that Paul speaks of. We're waiting for the changing of the body. And then there'll be no struggle, no war, no battles, no sin. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 4 here. He says, we're to put off a conversation, the old man which is corrupt, according to deceitful lusts. So this is what I've written here. Everything the old man is, you're not to be. Or old woman is, you're not to be. Everything the old man or the old woman wants, you are to deny it to them. And everything the old man or woman claims that you are, you are to rebuke him and rebuke her. Do you know what? Ken, you are just, you're useless. You're nothing. You're worthless. You're a waste of space. You're this and you're that and you're other. And the old man can shout. He can be the megaphone of other voices outside of you. Do you know that? Other people who don't agree with you or like you or love you, maybe they'll loathe you. It doesn't matter where it comes from. The devil uses them 
to use his microphone, which is yourself, to pull yourself down, to say you're no good, you're never going to work, you're never going to do, you'll never accomplish, you might as well just go back into the world. Sure, just forget about it, for this Christ isn't enough. Well, I can tell you something, rebuke him. Rebuke her. Deny them everything. Walk in the newness of life that is in Christ. Yes, we should clean up our act. Absolutely. Yes, we should walk righteously. Absolutely. Yes, we should live properly to the best of our abilities. Absolutely. Yes, we should even abstain from all appearance of sin. Absolutely, yes. I believe in living right for God. I believe in it with all of my heart. I believe in not going to establishments we shouldn't be in. And I believe in that even... Look, I wouldn't even go to a concert that's not a Christian one. I agree 100% with all of those things. I agree of total abstinence uh, uh, from, from alcohol and from other drugs and things. I agree with all of that. I agree with living right, trying to keep your heart right, and living peaceably with all men so much as lies within me and according to as much as they'll allow me to. I agree with that. But I know that when I fail, I know according to my Father that he sees me as his son. And he says, I still love you. You're mine. Let me round this up. Thank you for your attention. So the old man and woman, they're a new creature. It's unprecedented. What Christ has done in you is unprecedented. It's never happened before the cross. It's never happened before the outpouring of the Spirit. It's a new Life, it's a, a walking according to the word. The word according, by the way, is katan. It means, gives the idea of a pressing or a dominance. And he says, look, according to the deceitful lusts or the, the dominance of deceitful lusts upon you. The word deceitful, word, by the way, is the word apate. And it means to cheat, to beguile. Uh, it, gives, it means that which gives a false impression. How many Christians, I don't know, feel that they must go and club it on a Saturday night and then be up praising God on the Sunday. You're wrong if you're doing that. You are wrong. You can't worship the God of the world and then come in and worship the God of heaven the next day. You see, deceitful us, as they tell you, and now even teaching in many churches, is that, you know, you can live like this. You can act like this. And you can be like this. And you can live your life whatever way you like. But sure, it's under the blood and covered in grace. Brothers and sisters, God forbid, Paul says. God forbid. It's emphatic in the original Greek text. It means, never let it even be so said among you. That's the way it reads. God forbid. And now in the church, it's, oh, you're so harsh. You're terrible. That's very unchristlike. Do you want me to be Christ-like? 
Next time I see someone getting up to something, I'll make a whip and whip you. Kick over your table and I'll whip you and throw you out of church. Is that Christ-like for you? Maybe I'll call you a brood of vipers and snakes and devils, as he did. Is that Christ-like? Let's get the balance, eh? Let's get the balance. I wouldn't do that with all of you anyway, you know that. <laughs> Some of you guys are bigger than me anyway, so I was. <laughs> Come on, church. See, when you leave here today, walk in newness of life. Not just righteously before God, but walk in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to seek you to you fill me with your Holy Ghost. I'm going to walk in the new doctrine, the teaching of the cross, the power of the Spirit. I'm going to walk according to the authority of the Word of God. See that one that's sick? I'm going to pray for them in Jesus' name. See the one where they're saying, Pastor, I'm afraid there's somebody, maybe a little bit of possession here. Will you come and pray with them? And I'm away 10 miles away out of the road. Wait till I get out of the way. You know, no, 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 no. Go do it. If he's in you, go do it. The, I'll finish with this thought. The, the, the false impression, and I go back to the young man who, if I can call it, Lord used to inspire me to write this message. He was impressed and deceived by the, 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 the kick of the drug, the, the high that he got. And thinking, being deceived, thinking he, that, you know what, everything's fine. I'm in charge. I'm in control. And all I could see was somebody who I used to be. Lost. Enslaved. Blinded. Captured. Perishing. Dying without Christ. Unwittingly and unknowingly any of it. You see, even nostalgia can cause the Christian to be deceived. Well, do you ever get a, a song would come on, maybe you're in a shop on the radio or whatever, a song would come on and it casts your mind away back to those lovely days when maybe you were out with something or someone and and maybe you were in a party or you were doing or you are in a bar. We used to play it on a Saturday afternoon or if you're like me, you know, one not so long ago I was in a shop and they played a song and I had to walk out again. I just couldn't stand it. Because I just remembered me lying among a load of guys in a shabine, paramilitary shabine. Days worth of drugs in my body. Days worth. I didn't know where I was coming or going and I remember many a time walking out. In fact, I said it to the Lord this morning, walking out and I seen people going to church in their cars because they were dressed like me at the time. I used to wish I was there, but I just couldn't do it. Wish I wasn't waking up with these shakes. Wish I wasn't waking up with this pain. Wish I wasn't waking up with this depression of mind and heart, wanting to pull uh, the duvet. Well, I didn't even have one at that time anyway, but pull it over my head, crawl up and roll up into a ball. I wish I, I didn't feel like 
cry my eyes out and go on to do something that is not worth talking about at the moment in front of these children. Probably say I could be like him or like her in that car. They're getting up this morning to go to worship their God. I wish it was me. I remember seeing a dog on the street and I envied the dog. I actually envied the dog lying on the footpath in the street. And I says, I wish I had a life like yours. You have no worries. You get fed and you just do what you want. But if you felt like I was well, feeling, if you are where I, I am now, see, you, I'm talking to the dog in the street. You know what the scripture says? A living dog is better than a dead lion. <laughs> Even that dog had more life than those who have passed into eternity without Christ. I seen that young man like that and I thought, oh, Father, we are missing the mark. Nostalgia can bring you back where you think all things are great. Everything is wonderful. No. Nostalgia can be a killer. Nostalgia is a deceiver. Yes, we can have nice memories, but nostalgia can be a deceiver to lure you back into that place or Christ is not. I'm going to do another part, God willing, next week. Because I want to show you about the renewing of your mind that is in Christ. To walk in that life that Christ has given to us. And enriched us with. For his glory. Amen.